on this edition of the program. What the Iraq war can teach us about our current stalemate with Ukraine funding and our great friend Howard Mortman of C-SPAN joins the show again. He's the nicest man in politics and we have an exceptionally nerdy conversation. You're going to want to stay around for it. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, and Craig. Everybody to the politics, politics, politics program for December 6th, 2023. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you 40 days away from the Iowa caucus, January 15th, 2024. That is the march, the march to Iowa. Cannot wait to land in Des Moines. But before we get there, I want to talk about something that's happening on Capitol Hill right now. As we speak, or as rather I record this on Tuesday, Vladimir Zelensky and Ruslan Stafanchuk, the second highest official in Ukraine's succession line, are talking to elected representatives from the United States of America. The second in command is going to be there in person. Zelensky is going to do it via telecommunications. Zelensky is set for a remote classified briefing with senators. Stefan Chuck is meeting lawmakers from both parties and chambers on the Capitol. Core issues involve the White House and bipartisan lawmakers stressing the need for new U.S. aid to Ukraine by December's end to prevent military losses against Russia. However, this aid is entangled with the United States dis- the United States domestic policies, particularly the migrant crisis at the US-Mexico border. Republicans are tying their support to Ukrainian aid to changes in border policy. Senate Democrats alleging a lack of middle ground in negotiations withdrew from border talks last week. Despite these challenges, though, both parties acknowledge the urgency of Ukraine funding, with the Republicans viewing the situation as leverage for border policy negotiations. Internal disagreements within the Republican Party, particularly between the House and Senate strategies on border policy, further complicate the matter. The House is saying they don't want to tie it to anything. The Senate is saying you got to tie it to something. Situation's gravity is underscored by the high stakes involved with the U.S.'s global image and its support of Ukraine, making the resolution of these issues critical. So there's something that I want to get across because it's been swimming around in my head for the last few weeks. And that is the legacy of the Iraq war. Because nothing changed the priorities of our parties more then, in my opinion, the legacy of the Iraq war. One of the ways that Donald Trump signal, signaled to 
Republicans that might have been sick of the Republicans that they were voting for, that he was different was by shredding Jeb Bush for his brother's legacy on the Iraq war. Obviously, this is something that was so important that both Biden and Obama and Trump have all, on one level or another, been dedicated to extricating the United States from its own involvement in foreign wars. While obviously there are no United States troops on the ground in Ukraine, our patience as a country for funding foreign war efforts, in my opinion, is inextricably tied to how we are doing domestically. If we're doing great, then voters seem to be more on the side of it, or at least they have patience for it. You have luxury problems. You can think about how the United States is going to affect the balance of power globally. But, and for many people, this is the case, they don't feel that things are going well. Well, then there's less of a leash. You start asking hard questions. What are we doing? How well are we doing? Could we be doing better? But the most important, how long is this going to go on? And according to reports from Politico and Punchbowl, the sell job from Ukraine is essentially, what do you choose? Defeat Putin or your domestic agenda? In a lot of ways, it's being sold that to focus on the domestic is to be selfish. You don't understand the balance of power globally will be decided by Ukraine. And for whatever your feeling is on that subject, and I am very sympathetic to the Ukrainian cause, politically, if that's where you want to put the dividing line, then Republicans will be very excited to fight for it. In a October poll, the majority of Americans disapproved of how the southern border was being handled. 71% of registered voters surveyed said the current levels of security at the U.S. border are not strict enough, with a majority of Democrats and Biden voters saying that they're needed to have more done to secure the border with Mexico. 82% of independents voiced their disapproval with cur current border policies. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that there is a bipartisan audience that would react positively to things getting done on the border. And it means that Ukraine does not match that same level of support, at least in the minds of the American voters. And here's the other problem, at least in my mind. I think America has lost faith that this money, the money you're asking for right now, could solve the problem. I don't think that there's much of a question that money can solve the problem, but is this money going to solve the problem? In fact, there seems to be more of a question. What does this money get us?
What does this money advance the cause to? Because I don't believe the White House has done a very good job. Indeed, I'm going to say that they've done a poor job of explaining the state of this war. I think they've done an even worse job of shifting the narrative to begin what every smart person that I know thinks is inevitable at about this stage, which is talking about an end game. Not demanding an end game. Not forcing Zelensky and Putin in a room. Not selling out our position in support. But maybe cracking a window. Maybe opening a little bit of a door. Maybe installing a doggy door toward an end game somewhere. The Biden administration's done none of that. And I think Congress and the American people are ahead of him. And you don't want to be there when right now Ukraine is the number one foreign policy achievement of the Biden administration. But let's go back to the border for a second to wrap this up. Our friend, and, and hopefully he comes back on the podcast soon because he's got a book to promote, Musa Al-Garbi, had a great thread on X that made the following point. Pre-Trump, there was a fairly bipartisan consensus that the border was a problem. When Trump got in and... Musa seems to suggest that this is animated by the idea that independents and Democrats were afraid that supporting the border after Trump made it his signature issue would either co-opt or animate racial elements to this conversation. The border became less of a priority in terms of all voters. But Trump's been out of office for three years now. And yeah, he's running again, but Joe Biden's running the show. And with that, support for deporting illegal border crossers has risen double digits since Biden was elected. That figure now stands at 47% disapprove, 43% approve. And if that eclipses, well, then we just have a whole different way to discuss this topic. In my mind, here's the reality, not only for what's happening on Capitol Hill this week, but looking forward to the 2024 elections. The Democrats have a losing hand currently on Ukraine funding. They're going to need to make a deal. And if that deal does involve the border, well, there could be worse things for them than them doing something that seems like they're reaching across the aisle because there's more voters than they might think that would find it to be a good use of money. 
This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Head on over there right now. Make sure that you get the bonus podcast of this show. One that shows up on Monday, one that shows up on Thursday. And this Thursday, it's a great week to sign up. You're going to get my immediate reaction to the debate on Wednesday. It will come first. My immediate uh, uh, debate is done. Walk into the booth, record my thoughts. That's that's only going to be for people that are on the Patreon at the $3 level. Less than the price of a cup of coffee. Now, Friday, we're going to do our big clips. We're going to cut everything out. We're going to uh, go back and forth on who did what and, and whether or not it means anything. But the immediate reaction is going to happen only for folks that are at the $3 level on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The man who is technically leading everybody on that stage, Ron DeSantis, has had a bumpy ride when it's come to his super PAC. The chief super PAC supporting DeSantis, never back down, has experienced significant internal upheaval over the last few weeks. Recently, the PAC dismissed several top officials, including its interim CEO, Kirsten Davis, sorry, Davison, spokesperson Aaron Perrine, and another high-ranking official, Matthew Polisano. These firings came amid reported mismanagement and personal issues and followed earlier departures of CEO Chris Janikowski and board chair Adam Laxalt. In response to these charge or to these changes, Never Back Down named Scott Wagner a close ally of DeSantis as its new interim CEO and board chair. The PAC's internal conflicts extended to its relationship with the DeSantis campaign, highlighted by a reported near physical altercation involving Wagner and a top strategist. The campaign has expressed dissatisfaction with the PAC's TV ads, suggesting a shift toward voter mobilization efforts. Amid this turmoil, a new super PAC supporting DeSantis, Fight Right, has been formed, raising questions about Never Back Down's future. This comes as DeSantis is struggling in the GOP nomination race, lagging behind Donald Trump and competing with Nikki Haley for second place. In response to campaign strategy advice, Never Back Down will now be focusing on field operations in the upcoming Iowa caucus, where it's been working for a while. Fight Right will handle the TV advertising. Oh boy, this, you know, the old saying goes that success has a million fathers and failure is an orphan. And boy, does it seem like the DeSantis apparatus, both within the party and the PACs, are trying to do some fraternity tests as to why they are in the situation that they are in. Never Back Down has spent a lot of money. Nothing seems to have worked. The DeSantis campaign has been stuck in the mud, despite the fact that they have a candidate that should be doing better and a lot of cash. They burnt through a lot of cash, but not a good sign when these things are happening. Historically, not a good sign. Let's go back to that debate on Wednesday. News Nation will host the fourth Republican primary debate Wednesday, December 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The debate will be broadcast and streamed live across all News Nation platforms. Participating in the debate will be 
surprisingly, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, joining Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. The candidates have all met the qualifying criteria, which include achieving at least 6% of national polls or a combination of one national poll in two early voting states, along with securing 80,000 unique donors from a diverse range of states and territories. Additionally, they've agreed to a loyalty pledge to support the eventual GOP nominee. Now, I say surprisingly, Chris Christie, because Chris Christie was not qualifying until the final press release. He was having a hard time doing it. But he'll be up there. So it will be a four-person debate, not a three-person debate. I was kind of looking forward to Chris Christie not making it. Not because I think he's done a bad job. I think he's been fine, although a little less pugilistic than some would have expected. But because he ain't going to win, you know, look, if you're not second in New Hampshire, then, or at least close to Trump in New Hampshire, you know, it's over because he's not competing anywhere else. And finally, former Representative Liz Cheney is considering a third-party presidential run, a decision she plans to make in the early months of the year. Cheney, a notable critic of former President Donald Trump and his influence on the Republican Party, expressed her concerns to the Washington Post, stating that democracy is at risk both domestically and internationally due to Trump's continued dominance in the GOP. Her contemplation of a third-party bid marks a significant shift in her past stance, driven by what she perceives as existential threats to the United States. In her recent statements, Cheney had indicated that she hadn't ruled out supporting President Biden. But it is worth noting that all of this comes with the reality that Liz Cheney's got a book coming out. Oath and Honor. A memoir and a warning, which delves into, surprise, the January 6th attack and offers a critique of the current state of the Republican Party. Uh, I'm glad that finally her thoughts will be laid bare on those two subjects. She has been so shy about sharing them. I don't think Liz Cheney's going to run. If Liz Cheney ran, it would hurt Biden. More than Trump, in my opinion. And I think Liz Cheney wants that MSNBC contract. So I don't think it's going to happen. But here's what I think will happen with you, dear listeners. And that is signing up for Take Politics Seriously. That's our Patreon, the $3 level. You get two bonus episodes each and every week. Again, if you would buy me a Overpriced cup of coffee, a $3 cup of coffee every week. So I sit in your car, help you wash dishes, whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would pay me $3 to to give you two bonus episodes, well, then the deal's right there. You're going to need it this time, this time of year. Come on. We're in, we're in prime time. We are in prime time. Take politics seriously.com. Our guest today is the writer, researcher, and host of one of my favorite podcasts on the internet, C SPAN's The Weekly. He also happens to be 
one of the nicest dudes on the planet. The one, the only, Howard Mortman. Welcome back to the show, Howard. Thank you. This is great. You're the best, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. And God bless Justin Young. Oh, geez. Come on. You know, already the nicest man in podcasting already demonstrating his bona fides. And it's so great to have you on because the weekly, which I have said in your intro is, is one of my favorite shows. I do think that it is a must listen for especially political history nerds. There's, there's nothing else that delivers that kind of entertainment information and you know, I'm old enough to say a little bit of that nostalgia scratch uh, on, on on the top of your brain here and again. But recently, you have had the great nexus of news events plus historical context because of George Santos, only the sixth member of Congress to be expelled, the first to be expelled without being convicted or a member of the uh, uh, Confederacy. So. I just want to uh, uh, start start here. You've already done George Santos episodes in the past. And what was fascinating to me in a, an episode that you did that I would encourage everybody to listen to, you just did what he's used his time on the floor for. And it really wasn't all that crazy. So, so two things. First of all, Justin, thank you for phrasing it the way I love the way you laid it out. The podcast is, yes, there's a bit of entertainment, but there is serious historical side to it. Mm-hmm. And I, it can't just be making fun of people because that's not what C-SPAN no. does. I mean, you know, so it does reflect our mission. Now, a prime example of that. Thank you so much for bringing up that prior George Santos episode because he, it's funny, he, um, I tallied it up last night. He has made 36 speaking floor appearances, meaning that according to C-SPAN stats, there have been 36 days when he was a congressman that George Santos made remarks. And majority, the predominant number of them were, as you say, straightforward, one-minute opening session of Congress speeches that were constituent-based, historical-based, policy-based. And it wasn't, it wasn't the, oh, you know, what I, the cartoony kind of things that we, no. you know, people associate him with. But it was, he seemed like just like a regular straightforward man representing New York third district um, making his one minute speeches. So that podcast without saying, take him seriously, because it's not my role to say that my role was saying, you know, you know, all the other stuff, but what actually has he been saying in Congress? Take a listen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, uh, uh, we're going to get to kind of the, the role of the colorful character. Cause, cause I I want to make clear for everybody. We're going to talk a little bit about George Santos and some of the colorful characters of Congress through this episode. But what's great about your show is that there is no judgment. There is just the audio and and, and the video that it comes from for which here's this is what people walked in front of a microphone and said, like, yes, there's an element of curation so we can have a theme going forward. But but you are you are not leading anybody anywhere other than to say, here's what happened. So uh, Santos in particular is somebody that obviously is extraordinarily colorful if you look at the reporting on him, is colorful enough when he gets in front of a microphone in, let's say, congressional hallway scrums or uh, you know a- any situation like that. But as a congressman, in terms of your going through stuff, he, he did seem to at least be 
unremarkable compared to another freshman congressperson from a swing district, which tends to not be the bombastic ones. Right. No, totally perfect. Totally perfect. In fact, those clips, I love your word, unremarkable. They were just flat out. The interest is not may not have been using flamboyant or aggressive language. It was unremarkable language, the kind of policy and constituent service you'd hear from anybody. And presumably I like that you mentioned as a swing district, presumably the person who will replace him, him or her uh, who will replace him. Well, probably knowing the importance of that district to the Republican majority mm-hmm. and how it really can go either way, probably won't stray too far from straightforward policy no. and constituent kind of uh, speeches, I would imagine. And now that we've said that, let's get into some of the more colorful <laughs> elements, uh, because obviously George Santos flaming out uh, was something that happened uh, very publicly. He called a press conference at Eight o'clock in the morning on a 31 degree day made all of the press, including C-SPAN's cameras. C-SPAN broadcast it live uh, to go answer questions. And and we now know a failed attempt to hold on to his seat. Is the weekly preparing a final days of George Santos episode or is that something that is best left for maybe a little while from now? I, it's best left for a little while from now. Um, I will say, just from going back and looking back at that last day, you're totally right. He opened with an 8 a.m. press conference, and we covered it on C-SPAN. The famous scene of there was a, um, a dumped a, um, a trash truck, a garbage truck <laughs> behind him <laughs> as he's speaking. And, and it, it struck me, one thing I personally clipped and put on my Twitter feed was mm-hmm. him talking about um, uh, that uh, this has become a big show this is all about the, you know, the, they're the bullies are treating this as a, like yes. a big show with the all the cameras win. and the microphone. <laughs> the bullies win the microphones and the and the cameras. And he's saying that in front of microphones and cameras. Um, so I thought it was that was, as we said, the furthest I'll go is say it was interesting. Um, oh, indeed. And then the, the, yeah, the day goes on and then he gets expelled and then he flee. He leaves. Um and now he's on Cameo, so he looks like... <laughs> I know, and probably by, by the time that you, dear listener, uh, hear this interview, he will have talked more on Cameo than he did on the floor of Congress, if you add up yeah. all the time. Uh, but, well, uh, and, and we will not, we will not then theorize what a Santos episode will be. There'll be men, there'll be plenty of time to put that together. The back and forth he had with Max Miller on the floor of Congress, something that I'm sure many, many people would uh, yeah. uh, uh, be interested. But again, it's the history of the weekly that matters, which is why we're not going to focus on George Santos. <laughs> we're going to focus on somebody else that you did an episode on. And again, every once in a while, this podcast, unlike any other, scratches that that little nostalgia itch. So if the name Trafficant has any kind of uh, nostalgia for you, I would encourage you, if you have not already listened to the weekly uh, about James Trafficant, the last person to be expelled from Congress. Uh, for those of you who are for, for listeners who are younger and not aware of James Trafficant, Howard, how would you describe the congressman? So uh, in a nutshell, um, Jim Trafficant, um, a Democrat from Ohio, was expelled in 2002, July 24th, 2002. As you mentioned, the intro became uh, the first member of Congress expelled um, uh, 
uh, uh, well, I'm still let me rephrase because there's Michael Myers before him, but he was convicted. Most members of Congress who had been expelled had been members of the Confederacy. Um, mm-hmm. But Jim Traficant was convicted. It's a very complicated case. He was convicted in courts of um, racketeering uh, and, and bribery and fraud and just a lot of bad money stuff that happened in his Ohio district. Um and he went through the court system. Now, it's funny. Um, we'll get to a little bit more about Jim Traficant as a colorful figure in a second. But one big difference between him and, and George Santos being a congressman is that Jim Traficant was there for many years. I think he got yes. elected in the yes. yeah, in the mid the early 90s, perhaps. But long history going back of uh, floor speeches. And one of the and Santos was there for oh, what seven months. He was a member of Congress. A, a, hot, a, hot, a hot minute, yeah. A hot minute, yeah. Um, so th- there was a wealth of trafficant stuff. Uh, as uh, uh, contrary to George Santos, where there is not a wealth of George Santos stuff. The other big thing, George Santos was kicked off committees um, mm-hmm. in the early days, and um, Jim Trafficant never was Jim Trafficant. Uh, served on committees, and uh, in fact, he well, and he also appeared. And one big difference is that he appeared in front of the ethics committee uh, for a couple really bizarre hearings uh, leading up to his uh, expulsion. And Santos never had those public ethics committee hearings. So, you know what I? So there's actually a part of Jim Trafficant that I did not cover my podcast, but that's his great, great meaning. Wow. Look at this uh, appearance in front of the house ethics committee. I think a couple of days before he got expelled. And that's in addition to all the press conferences he held. So, uh, so it's a big difference between Trafficant and Santos, but Trafficant was expelled um, from Congress July 20, 2002. Um, he ran again uh, as an independent and got 15 percent of the vote um, in the next cycle. And that could be a comparison. Will George Santos run again? You know, that's to be determined. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then, then Trafficant ran again as an independent, ran from jail um, <laughs> uh, and uh, got 15 percent of the vote and died uh, in 2014 on his farm in Ohio when his he was driving his tractor, and his tractor fell on top of him, and that's Oof. how Jim Trafficant ended. So the the big thing about Trafficant, the big thing why people remember for two, two I'm sorry, two reasons. One, he looked goofy. Jim Trafficant yes. wore polyester denim suits uh, and, and and many different colors, not just blue denim, but many like yellow and red denim suits on the floor of Congress. He did his hair uh, in a very, in a puffed up way, you know, oblivious to the need for a, a brush or a comb. And so he just looked funny. And the other one is he was known for, he was the king of the one minute floor speeches. And he gave these extraordinary um, uh, one minute speeches about this topics that he took from the tabloids. He was very big against um, women playing men's sports. He was very anti-transgender um, and he was very anti-IRS. And he used to talk about proctology when he talked about the IRS at the same time. Yes. And he would, and his code a, a, is- a, his, a lot of colorful metaphors from- from uh, metaphors. Yeah, representative trafficking. If, the, if your audience remembers him for one thing, that would be the concluding line of every one-minute speech. And Justin, I'll turn it over to you. What was the one way he ended every one of his one-minute speeches that lives in infamy? Beam me up, Mr. Speaker. Be- 
beam me up, Mr. Speaker. He always, in fact, not always end with it, but sometimes he would insert beam me up, Mr. Speaker, into the middle of a speech and then keep on going after that. So, he, he, it was, it so. was definitely his catchphrase. And when you are building a coalition for uh, electability, <laughs> right. then uh, yeah. he was prescient because this is before the era where nerd stuff was was mainstream you know he got elected at a time when a lot of you know that that was an era where where uh trek fandom trekkies that was relegated to you know you were a broken adult if you were still into star trek at a at an older age he was prescient there now i think you know in, in an era where stacy abrams is making cameos yeah. on on <laughs> a, a star trek discovery this is far less uh, uh you know uh, uh, of a problem in in 2023 or whatever but let's let's focus on on how you put together these episodes, because we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but not in the realm of colorful characters, explosive kind of controversial stuff. Uh, you obviously are, are very, very serious about C-SPAN maintaining the uh, neutrality of that brand. It is, quite possibly the only brand in politics that has been able to maintain such. I don't think anybody uh, uh, on any side of the spectrum would be able to say, well, C-SPAN tilts X or Y because you are so raw video dependent. Your hosts are, are so dialed in on maintaining objectivity. But obviously when we're talking about a James trafficking, when, uh, when we're talking about people that were expelled from Congress that obviously had these kinds of paths, that's a little bit more challenging before we get into specifics. Are there any guardrails that you have going into it? Oh gosh, what a great question. Um, are there guardrails? I, it's really the guardrail exactly as you set it up. I've got to maintain the C-SPAN where we, put it this way. Let me back up. We don't express our own opinions uh, on news because we are – the the ultimate is that we want you to think for yourself and to watch video for yourself. So the guardrail for me doing the podcast is how do you make this interesting? And I will use the word entertaining. How do you make people want to listen to this without without telling them what to think and without shaping it too much? And the bottom line for me is the guardrail, I guess, is – the less I talk, the better. Just like, let me set yeah. it up. Let me play up the clips and just play the clips. Um, and, you know, each episode, maybe 12, 13, 14 minutes. So, you know, they're, they're bite-sized, like in the world of podcasts. Um, and um, so it's, you know, it's a common, it's, it's like, what's an interesting topic that I, I can come up all day with things I think are interesting, but ultimately is there sound, is there audio, is there video to support that? Um, for, for using Santos and Trafficant as an example, is I knew that Santos was headed toward expulsion and I'm not going to talk about Santos, whether he, my role definitely is not to say Santos is a terrible person or Santos no. is a great person. That's not my role at all. But maybe there's an historical perspective on last time Santos, what well, last time a member of Congress was expelled and what did that sound like? And nobody would know, few people would know the history. And I'll tell you something, Trafficant, 
using that as an example here, this floor speech was amazing uh, when he <laughs> when they voted on him. You know, he talked about, oh, you know, they kept on admonishing him. You, you know, you need we have to maintain decorum and no profanity. And he would go on and, and it's in the podcast about how Janet Reno was a traitor. Uh, yeah. It was Clinton's press, you know, uh, uh, um, DOJ, attorney, attorney general. Yeah, DOJ. Yeah. Attorney, right. Um, and uh, he, you know, he went, he talked about how he looked. So for me, that's just an example of, boy, this is great, colorful history, great, great, colorful sound that matches, you know, the idea. Now, if, if he had just gone up there and, and not, if Trafficant had gone up there and not talked and not been interesting, the, that episode would have fallen apart because, you know, the yeah. audio wasn't there yeah. to support that. So I've come up with ideas that, you know, I think are brilliant and were earth shattering ideas and. Two minutes later, I start diving into the archives and looking at the video and know there's nothing. It's not, you know, Mortman, get a hold of yourself. This is not very interesting because the the sound and the audio, uh, the video and the audio is just not very compelling. So the guard, so the the guardrail is, is, is it going to be an interesting podcast for people who yeah. may be. Now, the, the one bit of entry, you have to be interested in this. Like I'm not in the business of teaching you, teaching people to be interested in political history. You have to, it, I love you saying you have the itch. If you have the itch for this. I'm here to serve that. Yes. But, you know, if you're not interested in any of this, God love you. I mean, there's thousands of other podcasts to go to. So I'm not here to convince you to love this stuff. But if you do love this stuff, if you live that history and you want to remember it, that's, you know, I, I'm, I hope to provide that service for people. Let me ask you this, because th this Congress in particular has been a very soundbite, dare I say, thirsty Congress. Uh, even by our modern standards, there seems to have been, you know, we had two extraordinarily messy fights for the speakership. We had, uh, we've had a lot of very controversial hearings where uh, very colorful characters have been given uh, are, are on the committees. They have microphones. They are making very, very colorful points. You are not a salacious person to find these things. C-SPAN is not a salacious uh, uh, platform per se, but obviously this is stuff that is happening in Congress uh, you guys have uh, uh, the weekly has stayed away from at least like a week by week chronicling of, of this kind of stuff. Is there any point in which maybe it, during a, a more quiet period, Congress tends to go a little bit quieter during the, uh, you know, the, the, the races that will determine or the elections at, at you know next fall that maybe there's there's some element of. You know, back and forths that have happened over, over over the last five years, because you certainly got at least 16 minutes worth of that. <laughs> yeah, that that's wonderful. Um, we are not a uh, TikTok of what's happening in Congress. And that's that's for a very specific technical reason. These take the, the runway to produce these things just take a while. It takes a yeah. while to research and to come up with the, the clips to play. And Shannon Rice, my, our amazing executive producer, if we have like 15 podcasts a season span to do different things, but just the, the amount of time that goes into, I'm not, this is not a complaining, but just, it's just flat out to, from concept to publicate, to uh, publication of it takes a while. So I do plan out um, uh, what I want to be doing in a few weeks from now. Um, so I can't really do 
a flat out, um, you know, here's what happened this week. That's here's what happened. Role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't, frankly, for me, that would not be interesting because then it becomes, as you say, a back and forth. This person said that, that person said that, and that becomes a new show. And that, that kind of misses the mark, I think, on a lot of things that I want to do now. You know, if someone big dies, like Jimmy Carter, if he dies, yeah. you know, I probably will bump in and do something. But for the most part, um, it's more, it's, Tied to a story. Now, I would give you an example. I haven't taped him yet, but I'm right now working on, we're taping this um, early December and I'm already, I know what I want to do for um, Iowa, New Hampshire, for the Iowa caucus mm. and uh, the uh, January um, and for the New Hampshire primary. And in fact, I think you, my friend, will particularly enjoy the one I do for New Hampshire. And I'll give you a All tease right. if my- Go, I'll go, give you, go. Do you know, only you would know this, Justin, but does the name, <laughs> so let me test you. I'm going to put you in a spot. Does the name Vermin Supreme mean anything to you? <laughs> you know, you, you, you know that you've been in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire for too long when the booted sight of Vermin Supreme stops becoming a novelty, you know, because he's everywhere. He's, he, New Hampshire's not a big state. Vermin Supreme, if you are unaware with Vermin Supreme, please, I'm sure you could probably go to the C-SPAN archives and find plenty of clips of uh, uh, Mr. Supreme. He's he's a nice enough guy. I have I have met him, but he is an absolute fixture of New Hampshire politics and and that primary. He's he's a, a, a gray beard, an extraordinary talker. He wears a boot on his head. He throws glitter every once in a while. But yes, I am well, well familiar with Mr. Vermin Supreme. Well, I will tell you, you've nailed it. That's exactly what the episode is going to be about. Going to the C-SPAN <laughs> that's archives. That's amazing. Colorful. That's exactly what Talk it is. Talk about colorful and, characters. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. You brought up colorful characters. He fits the bill for that. Now, we used to, we've covered um, in the past, uh, New Hampshire, part of their process up there, the uh, Center for New Hampshire Politics or, or St. Anselm's, someone puts on every four years something called the debate among the lesser known candidates. Yes. And that's the, the title of the lesser known candidates and he has been a fixture of that and many other lesser known characters uh, candidates have been that so what I want to do if I can pull this off for an episode tied to the primary is is go back and dig through some of those lesser known candidate debates and find some really good stuff now now the the big I, actually I love you talking about guardrails earlier it's not to make fun of them like I don't want to make fun of them no. um, um, I want to Say here are other people who have run who we've covered. So there is, there's, an, I, I don't want to come off righteous, but there is an educational part of this too, and is explaining what goes on. As you say, is a fixture of Manchester uh, in the primary. So you know, this is part of the education of who he is as a character, as a perennial uh, candidate in the New Hampshire primary. So you that's know, coming and, up, and, and that's and that's one of the things that I really like about the weekly is that you're unafraid to demonstrate that there is an element of humor in politics there, you know, politics is, is the art of persuasion, you know, at least elections are the art of persuasion. You uh, have a lot of very good talkers that come in and regardless of whether or not you agree with their every opinions, like you did an episode a few months ago that was just Boris Johnson's Hollywood metaphors. <laughs> And, and uh, uh, all of uh, just him leading up to it. And like, uh, 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 I know we have we have a bunch of UK listeners. 
Boris Johnson may or may not be your favorite person on the planet. I don't think he's a favorite amongst the Tories. He's certainly not a a, a favorite amongst the uh, Labor Party. But he's a good talker, and there's really no there's no there's no arguing about that. And he probably quotes. Hollywood movies more than any uh, uh, politician on either side of the Atlantic. I was struck. I love the thank you. First of all, Justin, thank you for mentioning that one. That was a heck of a lot of fun. I was struck going through the things he said that we've covered that involved movies that involved Arnold, that involved Terminator. He would he quoted the Terminator to the United Nations uh, speaking about <laughs> climate change at the General Assembly. He said, this is great. And then he talks about James Bond movies. Um, uh, uh, I can't. I, oh, gosh, a couple of uh, movies. Um, that come to mind, but but just like I didn't realize like, how struck he was with including Hollywood and television shows uh, in yeah. his uh, in his language, his rhetoric. Um, so no, that was thank you for remembering. That was a lot of fun. That was, and that was the way I said goodbye to Boris Johnson. Uh, was um, yes. an episode just talking about his uh, Hollywood, his love of Hollywood mentions. Uh, we have had a, a couple big uh, passing. Sandra Day O'Connor uh, passed and uh, Henry Kissinger passed. Obviously, very different legacies uh, uh, for, for the two of them, considering their professions and how they served the, the nation. Uh, are, are those big enough legacies to do uh, a retrospective episodes on? Yes and yes. In fact, I did one on Henry Kissinger turning 100 years old um, um, a couple months ago, and it was uh, what he um, it was what Kissinger said about um, or what what Kissinger said about other presidents. Um, it was kind of like his, you know, <laughs> anticipating a guy who's 100 years old is going to die soon. So I wanted to at least get that done. So it was yeah. a look back at him uh, through uh, the eyes of for presidents. But you mentioned Sandra D. O'Connor. I actually want even the timing might be off. A little bit. I do want to go back and I do want to do a Sandra D. O'Connor episode um, soon that looks back at, at things uh, like top 10 things you didn't know about her. Um, and there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, she gave the oath. Again, we're talking about Sandra D. O'Connor, Supreme Court Justice, nominated by Ronald Reagan in 1981 to be the first woman on the Supreme Court. Well, she also was the first woman um, justice to swear in to uh, um, uh, someone at the uh, at the inauguration. She swore in uh, Dan Quayle as vice president in 1989. Mm-hmm. So she was the first woman member to swear in a president or vice president. Um, Sandra D. O'Connor was also mentioned um, by then Vice President George H.W. Bush at the 1984 Republican Convention uh, in Dallas because uh, George Bush uh, said proof of Ronald Reagan uh, and women is he put Sandra D. O'Connor in the court. Um, There's a couple other neat little nuggets about her place in political history that I actually would like to put together. Um, You know, not a not a tribute and not an obit, but just kind of the things you might not have known about her that her place in the political world. Well, I'm I'm excited to listen. Now, yeah, let, me you. You. <laughs> let me ask you. Let me ask you. Have you decided for sure what your Iowa episode is? Yes. No, no, I actually have. Uh, and it's nearly I, I've pulled out the clips. I will tell you what the Iowa episode is, and I want to run it. Um, uh, the Iowa caucuses are, are January 15th. I'm looking to run it the Thursday before the January 11th. Mm-hmm. And that episode is going to be flat out. It's going to be <laughs> the premise. And I, need, I haven't written the script yet, but the premise is Iowa 
for uh, for contested Republican primaries, of which 2024 will be, there's mm-hmm. no incumbent Republican in a contested primary. Yep. So looking yep. at those, Iowa has hardly ever predicted who will become the Republican nominee or even not, a not, a, not a great not a great record. Not a great record. So I'm going to pull out um, Republicans who have won the Iowa caucuses and what they said on election night. And Justin, I'm once again going to put you on the spot, man. Tell me some names of who won. So the last time there was a contested Republican caucus in Iowa. That'd be Cruz. That'd be Cruz. Okay. 2016. Now go the year before that, the time before that for me. The cycle before that. Now we ended that night believing Mitt Romney had won it. We found out about a week later that Rick Santorum had won it. Uh, I believe before that, ah, oh, man, it's either Huckabee or there's somebody in between. It was Huckabee. Huckabee won in 2008, Huckabee. Michael Huckabee, and so brought Huckabee. on stage with him uh, his daughter and his daughter, Sarah Huckabee, um, yep. brought on stage with now, him in 2008. Now, now the governor, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Now the governor of Arkansas. Uh, then go to and, me for – now, here's the only one. The next one is the only one where the winner of the Iowa Republican caucus in a contested non-incumbent year not only became the nominee, but actually won the presidency. And that would be George W. Bush. George W. Bush in 2000 won it all. In 2000, Iowa, won yeah. The nomination and that, yeah, because uh, McCain, McCain scared him in New Hampshire, but uh, he did not have the evangelical lane in Iowa. Right. Which is f- so crazy now that, that that's I mean this is this is you know, not your not your uh, realm but, but uh, uh, the, the the collapse of the evangelical lane in Iowa is something that is just fascinating yeah. to me as somebody's watching. Now, can I push and you? Also, can I re- oh jeez. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Go 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 go. go, go. Keep on going. Don't stop there and talk yet. I, you'll talk in a second. Right. We need to keep going backwards here. Okay. All right. So, uh, we did so from two thousand. So that would mean. That we were at 96, 96. Oh, so if it wasn't, was it Dole? It was Dole 1. Dole 1, exactly. Dole 1, yes, Dole 1. Dole okay, 1, yeah. Dole 1 in 96. And then he gets the nomination. So it's really, right. you know, all right. So then, then 92 would be, uh, there was not contested, right? Because it was George right. H.W. Bush. And then you have... And that really leads us back to the birth of the Iowa caucus, which was Carter. Carter. Um, oh, you missed a year. No, you missed an important year. 1988. I, 1988. Oh, OK. So this is, yeah, Reagan's out. George H.W. He wouldn't be strong in Iowa. Oh, man. I, you, you finally stumped me. We had to go back to 88, but you finally stumped me. <laughs> Bob Dole. Bob Dole won in Bob Dole Iowa in 88. Bob Dole again. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Now, to your now George W. Bush won in 1980, and he beat Reagan. And mm-hmm. of course, Reagan beat him in New Hampshire in 1980. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, George H. W. Bush. George H. W. Bush. H. W. Bush. Right, won in 1980, uh, and then endorsed Reagan at the convention and became running mate. And now this is this is really obscure. But for the extra credit question here okay. is okay. Here's now the, it's I, I don't know this history that well, but 1976, um, uh, um, it was Ford and Reagan, and 
Ford beat Reagan in Iowa. Iowa wasn't Iowa yet. But Iowa Ford was in Reagan. Iowa. I, yeah, right. I, I, Iowa was in Iowa. Well, no, yeah, seventy six was the beginning because right. that Jimmy Carter launches to fame when he does. He doesn't. He still loses to undecided, but he, but 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 he 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 does well enough that he puts himself on the national map. Exactly right. So there you have it. So there is a for listeners of the Justin Young podcast a quick history of the Iowa. I know. Uh, I got. I got Iowa tested. Republican there was no. There was no. <laughs> Howard didn't tell me he was going to pop quiz me. That's just off the dome, baby. Uh, well, here's here's my unsolicited pitch. So maybe the bonus clip is just clips. I'm sure C-SPAN. If you go back in that archive and you just type any of those names we just mentioned and Pizza Ranch. You're going to find plenty of clips from the pizza ranch. Just just a real quick best of of uh, uh, campaigning at the pizza ranch. It is a absolute staple in Iowa. There's a million of them throughout Iowa. Everybody stops there. It's always awkward. They're they're uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand had a great moment, which I don't know if that was just a viral clip where somebody was just trying to get buyer to get to the salad bar. And she thought she was going in for a handshake. <laughs> just amazing world-class campaign trail. Awkwardness happens at the pizza ranch, but still I'm sure there's probably some really good stump speeches that happened there as well. I, I will answer that in a second, but first you've been to the pizza ranch, right? You've, this of is, course. You, you, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cause you've been traveling, right? Um, Justin, I, this is why America loves Justin because you mentioned <laughs> that. And, and, and because I will, I will just give it away now in one of the clips I have of Republicans winning Iowa, who you never hear from again, uh, Rick Santorum in his, uh, uh, 2016, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2012 victory in yeah. the Iowa speech mentions this is Rick Santorum talking that he said he's visited 99 counties. He's had Mm -hmm. 58 town hall meetings and he's been to 50 pizza ranches, pizza ranches. He said they made me fat is what he said on stage so, or like yeah, very rich food. So, yes, there's a tribute to Pizza Ranch in that episode. You've nailed it again, Justin. You've nailed it again. Look, this has just evolved into me and uh, uh, fanboying over the weekly. Everybody needs to listen to it uh, because there is true, true Dirt under the fingernails, neckbeard level political nerdery that happens. And it is something that I am so here for. I want to spread it to you. And the man who puts it all together is the one, the only Howard Mortman of C-SPAN's The Weekly. Thank you so much for joining the show, Howard. Thank you, Rich Justin. So much fun. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to thank Mr. Howard Mordman, you can do so. Uh, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. That is px3guest.com. You can email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Follow the show live on X. PX3 tweets. Follow me, Justin R. Young. Been posting a lot more video content to all social medias. My Instagram, Justin R. Young there. My TikTok, Justin R. Young there. And dare I say it, 
friends, we might well be not far from a full-on video version of this show. I might be on a set recording right now. Hmm. If you like to follow my live streams, it is letter P letter X number three live.com PX three live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family and clergy PX three podcast.com. You can support me with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash pay jury. Venmo is Justin dash young dash 20. Thank you, Amy. Hitting me up with some Venmo cash. Cash app is PX3 cash. And you can send me anything you would like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. The only way that you can get our bonus content is at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news we miss on our free podcasting schedule and our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. And we got some new names as well. Yield Pinball Shop. John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian. Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers, Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick Wood, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Jen, D. Really, Chopper, Andrew, Adam L., my mom, Gloria, Niemeister, J., and Devon. You'd like your name on this list. You got to go to takepoliticsseriously.com. On Friday's edition of the program, we will be recapping the debate that was. Do we see uh, any fireworks? We're getting a little late in the tooth and nothing has been able to change this game. Do we see some people getting desperate? You know, this was like around the time that Elizabeth Warren started, uh, you know, pretending Bernie Sanders was a misogynist last cycle. Desperate numbers. Dwindling bank accounts make for very interesting exchanges. That's all on Friday. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.